Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hey, coffee is me, listeners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today, I have a really cool guest. He is Darren Spicer from a Clutch Coffee Bar. Hey, Darren. Hey, how are you, man? I'm fine. You know, I never had anyone from coffee company which uh, does uh, drive-thrus. So I'm super excited about this interview. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on and excited to, to talk shop. Yeah, you know, I'm European. I, my heritage is European. I come from Europe and drive-thrus, there are not a big thing. And I have to admit, in front of the whole world, that I never did a drive-through. That's that's okay. I mean, that's it's. I, I completely agree with you. I think culturally, uh, there are things that are that are different from you know from Europe and and from the United States, and and not in necessarily a good or bad way on either side. They're just they're just different. Uh, and uh, part of you know part of what we're aiming to do, uh, America has an obsession to some degree with getting their food or beverages in a fast manner, not necessarily sitting down and enjoying it, but getting it on the go to wherever they're headed next. And so um, we uh, we aim to to serve them a phenomenal product and experience um, in that short window of time uh, uh, to get them to get them fueled up and going on their way. The model sounds to me fascinating. I it's not because I'm a European snob or whatever. That's why I didn't do that drive through. It just it it just didn't cross my mind. A, I always see them around, and B, they're a little bit intimidating for me because I never did them. You know, when you do something first time, it's like, oh, how do you do this? You know, but I'm sure if I do it first time, it will it will uh, come naturally. And I and I remember when we had a uh, before podcast call. I promised you that I'm going to do this, and I still plan to do this. I make a little video maybe for the people how Valerian had his first drive-through experience. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and you, yeah, you kind of get used to it over over time, and it's really become it's a the drive through phenomenon, uh, at least for coffee in the United States. The first ever drive through coffee was in 1990 up in the Northwest in the you know um, Seattle uh, Portland areas, and uh, and it's just kind of evolved over time and become more and more popular to where you know people. No, they can go to McDonald's to get their hamburger, and now it's we've got you know coffee with Starbucks and and uh, and other you know Dunkin' Donuts and other chains like that 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 have really focused more on the beverage side and the coffee side, and and you know we're trying to take it a step further, not just do coffee, but also um, you know juices, uh, custom flavored teas, custom flavored energy drinks. Um, a, a lot of things across the board where hopefully we have something for everybody. Awesome. Thank you for uh, telling us what, drive, at least to me, what drive-through really is, because uh, I did not know it's such a recent phenomenon when it comes to coffee. Uh, that's a surprising info. Before we dive in uh, to the tips and the business models, listeners would be really angry if I would not ask you about your first coffee experience. So what was your first coffee experience? Okay. So first coffee experience, um, 
I got, I think I got into it a little bit later than like maybe normal, but like, I remember my first coffee experience, like actually coffee, not hot chocolate or something like that was I was 16. I was working at a grocery store and, you know, I'd have to go outside and get the carts and bring them back in. And, and there was a little coffee kiosk inside the grocery store and it was always busy. Um, and there were these beautiful girls that worked there and they had their, their tip jars were overflowing with, uh, with cash tips that they had. And, and I'm pushing carts and I'm walking by this and I'm like, a, that looks like a lot of fun, more fun than what I'm doing. B, I, I need to like try something, right. And, and, and just check it out and see what it's all about. And so I, um, you know, I, I, after one of my shifts, like chatted with one of the girls that was working there. And, and I think I ordered, it was like a, a blended coffee. It was like a blended mocha and, and it was delicious because it was full of sugar. Um, and so I, I was just like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. And so then I, I started, you know, g- grabbing one before or after work on a fairly consistent basis. And then ultimately ended up, that was my first coffee job was I ended up working for that company. Um, and, and that was just such a great, a great transition because I, I started making those tips myself and, and I think I started making like twice as much as I was making, uh, pushing carts. So it was more fun and more, and more lucrative. And, uh, that's how I kind of first got into it. And then, you know, and, and then just really enjoyed the people aspect. It, it was beyond that, beyond coffee for me, it was the people aspect and developing relationships with people. This is an awesome story. I love it. So, uh. You got to coffee through pretty girls and bunch of cash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, that's that's a that's a good way to summarize it. As I as I said that out loud, I'm like, this is an interesting an interesting way it's unfolding. But that was, I mean, fairly accurate of like just walking by that and being like, man, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to check it out, and and it ended up ended up opening some doors for me. Well, a true entrepreneur, you know, sees the change and it's like, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. How did you get into doing Clutch Coffee Bar? Let's talk a little bit about your path to coffee. Well, we started, obviously, and how did you get to the, the Clutch Coffee Bar? Yeah, so I, I ended up working, like, the first drive through coffee place I worked in, I was 18 um, in the hometown I grew up in, in, in Oregon, and uh, had, a, you know, had a great time, um, enjoyed enjoyed the process it, it wasn't nearly as busy as it is now with what we see but it was uh it was just a lot of fun and we got you know listen to music while you're working and and so i i worked there through all through college um and there were some other locations in the in the town that i went to college in and it was very flexible a school schedule which was great and so i worked there um after college i uh got a an adult job and um, was working in professional sports, doing, doing sports marketing. And I just really had, I still had this passion for people and for coffee that my cup wasn't being filled completely in this, in this new um, market that I was in and, and, and doing something different. And so coffee was kind of always in the back of my mind, kind of, kind of pulling me back. And I, um, I ended up, getting back into it in my mid twenties. And I had wanted to franchise with this particular company I'd worked for that had a lot of drive-through locations. 
and they had certain requirements of what we had to do to, to become eligible. And I started checking off those boxes. And one of them was that you had to manage for a, a year, uh, one of their locations. So grew myself into a spot where I became the manager of a new location. Nine months into fulfilling that one-year requirement, they changed their model and said, there's no more franchise opportunities, which was not ideal for me. Um, and so I was just like, okay, well, that sucks. So I am going to go branch off and do my own. And so I, at the time I was doing, I was, I was managing a location, working 30 hours a week. And then I was also doing, I had transitioned into doing medical equipment sales and I was doing that 40 hours a week on top. So I was putting in like 70 hour weeks and I, uh, I just said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go start my own. So I just really, uh, I, the moment that like clutch came to be is it was on my birthday. I think it was six years ago and I was sitting in my living room and I'm like, I'm going to go on legalzoom.com and create an LLC called clutch coffee LLC. And that, like, I'm going to spend, it was like, I don't know, 300 bucks. I'm like, I'm going to spend the money now and like commit myself to doing this. And so that was like the first token step of, of getting into it. And then from there, it was, you know, formulating a business plan. Who are my business partners that I want to try to work with? Um, what does this concept look like and, and how can we bring it to reality? And so spent, you know, uh, the better part of two years working on that. And then Clutch officially came into existence in 2018. Congrats on that. Wow. So basically, that previous company was training you to become their, well, kind of, they didn't know about it, but kind of training you to become a great at what you do now. And you wanted to work with them, but they could not give you the franchise. Was it a good decision for them to cancel the franchise? You know what? I that's I don't think that's for me to decide. I think I think there's pros and cons to any of those decisions and I mean they've continued to really thrive. They at the time I was working there, I think they had about 300 locations and they've now got over 450. Um so they're growing immensely and and it's exciting to see because they I have nothing but but love for them because they gave me a lot of the foundation that I have. Um, that's allowed me to have a good a good foundation to build you know to build the house that I'm now working on. So um, it's I think if anything it was it it helped me to get to where I am now. Right, like if they had still done it, maybe I'd be a franchisee somewhere, um, and I'd have you know a couple locations maybe. Um, but the opportunity that I have now, you know, we've got five locations now. Number six opens in May. Uh, and then seven and eight open in September, October. Like, I don't think I'd have that upside right now uh, if I, if they had kept it the way it was. So for me, I'm appreciative. And I think it's working out, you know, just just fine for them too. <laughs> so. Well, it sounds great, and I and I did not mean to criticize them. I was just more curious. What's your opinion about uh, franchising? You know, like you said, there are advantages and disadvantages. And I guess one of the advantages is that you can control your quality. Because you know what happened to me that. Uh, when I went to Subway sandwich, some places, and they're very different. Like, let's say here in Marion, we have this uh, place, which is very clean, very cool. But then I was in other state and I was like, wait, this is this is Subway? It's super weird. It was all dirty and weird, you know? So I guess you meet that kind of problem with the franchising, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, that, that can definitely be one of the, you have less control over the brand um, because franchisees are, are, they're, they're not appointed necessarily by you. Right. So you could have, you could have a situation where um, someone is, a, is really hungry and really lives out the brand uh, values and, you know, really sees what we're, what we're trying to build and is really bought in. And then you have other franchisees who may, may look at it more as an investment and just a place to park money versus, um, you know, really buying into the brand values. And so you kind of, you, you are subject to a mixed bag and it's, it is harder to control in addition to providing all of the, all of the, um, you know, resources and support that come with a, um, that come with a, with a franchise. So it's, you know, for us now with clutch, like we're not offering franchises. We've had a lot of people ask about it and we, we want to, we want to have the right control over the brand at this stage because our culture and, and how we build that is just, it's of the utmost importance. It, it makes a difference between, like you said, going into a one subway that might be highly functioning and then another one that looks really dirty. Like we, we want to be really, really consistent across the board with all of our locations. Okay, so let's talk about drive-throughs. What, what if I want to start a drive-through? What would you think would be the budget, ideal location? What kind of permits you need? How, how does it really work? First thing you're looking at, like if you, let's let's there's a couple of ways to approach this, but let's just pretend there's an existing building somewhere um, that uh, that may or may not already have a drive-through um if it does already have a drive-through then you've got what's you know a drive-through permit but if it doesn't and let's say you're redeveloping a piece of property to add that you have to go through the local municipality to to get that approval right and and there's a lot of factors that go into that that aren't necessarily in your control where the city is going to look at the the traffic flow impact right if we add a drive-through here how's it going to impact other businesses can cars get in and out efficiently or is it going to create a backlog that spills out onto a bigger street that can create accidents or, or issues? And so there's a lot of red tape there. It, it can definitely be done. There's just a lot of red tape to make sure that you can that you can get that permit. So that's one of the first things you look to secure is like, okay, can we even have a drive-through permit here, right? And, and sometimes the city might say, no way, you know, not doing it, like, sorry. And there, there are certain cities, at least in the United States, who won't even allow any drive-throughs at all. Um, there's a town near one of our locations and it's a, it's a small college town. They won't allow any drive-thrus in. So you, you kind of have to play that with what, with what you're dealt, but, um, getting that permit is, is important. So let's say that we were able to get that permit. Um, you know, then it's, it's making sure that you either the, the layout of the existing building or the building that you're about to construct has to be such that you can stack the proper amount of cars into the, the, they call it the queue. So, you know, at a drive-through when, you know, it's, it, the drive-through has to be able to accommodate um, most, every city has their own requirement. Sometimes it's six cars, sometimes it's eight cars, sometimes it's more, but you have to have a certain minimum number that allows them to stack cars in line, um, you know, to receive your services. So, um, and for us, we place a pretty big premium on having a pretty long uh, queue because the shorter it is, if we become popular, which we have seen in, in opening new locations, you can create a pretty big jam where 
everybody wants to come at once before work and your line can only hold a couple cars, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck. You're in trouble. It limits your upside. So having that ability to, to stack cars is, is important. Um, and then once, you know, you've got that drive-through permit, then, you know, it's, it's having the, uh, a building permit or a renovation permit from the, from the city that says, yes, we are okay with this concept and you can, you know, you can begin to transition this to become this type of a building. And some cities are very easy to work with. Other ones make you, you know, there's a project we've been working on for two years, which is crazy where we had to jump through all these hoops. It, it, it used to be a drive-through bank, just a drive-through bank, no walk-in. And we wanted to convert it. And it required a special exception permit that we had to go in front of the city and the mayor and the city councilman and present our case and why we wanted to be a new business there and, and why this bank, this bank that was sitting vacant for five years should be uh, revitalized and made into a beautiful looking clutch building. So um, it, lots of fun things on the back end that take a lot of time. Um, but that it's, yeah, it's a, a fairly involved process. And then once you, once you get through all those and you can actually start to renovate or build it, it then it gets to, then it becomes more real and it's more exciting and, and you can actually see it start to come to life. The main tip would be if I want to do this very fast, I just find some existing drive through, which is for sale, maybe like a food drive through. Yeah. For sale, for sale or for, uh, for lease. So like a lot of times there'll be buildings that are, that are available for lease. And, you know, that takes less capital, right? If you're going to buy it, that's, you're going to have to have more capital ready to go. But if you're just leasing, you know, and you're spending several thousand dollars a month on that, that's, that's a pretty economical way to go. Um, uh, you know, you still, have, you still have the renovation or the building costs, but in terms of the, um, in terms of the rent per month, leasing is a, is a pretty good way to go. I don't know why I didn't think of leasing. <laughs> it's just like buy it right away, buy it. <laughs> I mean, if it's a good deal. I mean, no. And then you know, when we got our first two locations open, the gentleman that owned the two buildings, it was actually another drive-through coffee concept, and he wanted to retire. And so part of the deal was we had to buy everything, right? We had to buy the two buildings, uh, the business. I mean, the brand, which his brand had no value to us because we did we were going to have our own brand and call it Clutch. Um, but we had to purchase everything. So we spent a little bit more than we wanted to, to get it going, but we got two locations that we were literally renovated in 90 days and opened. I liked when you talked about that, uh, drive through bank. And you said that you guys are working two years now on, on that project to make it work. So you probably know that there is some value there. So tell us, what do you think, what's an ideal location for a drive through? What shall we look at? uh into when we are planning uh the location of the drive-through yeah um great question so uh, there's there's a I, I could i could get really really deep on this but i'll give you some high level high level things um you know they like anything with real estate they you know location 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 right where is it um is it in a busy area of town are there a lot of cars that drive by that street um you know if it's tucked away somewhere less likely to be seen or noticed, or it might take a lot longer for people to, to know it's there. So visibility and, and, a, and a good amount of cars going by that location is, is really key. Um, and then accessibility, you know, is it, is it easy to get in and out of so that if you do become popular and busy, uh, are you still going to deliver a good experience to your customers or are they going to get frustrated because 
there's a traffic jam trying to get in or out or, you know, whatever else is, is going on. So we look at traffic counts um, to see how many cars are going by there. Um, we look at the at the average income in the area. Um, you know, there's uh, making sure that we're not in a really, really low income area where maybe people don't have the expendable income to purchase a coffee, you know, uh, several times a week or a, or a drink. Um, and, and so those are kind of some of the initial things we look at. Um, you know, a, a city or an area that's growing um, is, is always a positive thing as opposed to maybe if it's like a retirement community and community and maybe is kind of a little bit more stagnant that that might not be as attractive to us, but communities that are growing are, are, um, are a big focus for us as well. Is there a difference between the purpose of that trip of those cars? Let's say whether they are in a rush, let's say on a highway or whether they are kind of just cruising around, let's say in a, in a, I don't know, shopping mall or something. Uh, is, is, is that important? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, if, if you're, if you're on a freeway or a highway or like n near that where traffic is moving very, very fast, that's not very advantageous because even if they saw you and wanted to stop, they're going, you know, they're going pretty fast to where they can't make that stop in time. Um, so, so definitely we look at areas where the speed limit isn't too high, where if someone was driving by and they saw it, they could still reasonably make a turn in to, to visit. Um, you know, beyond that, in terms of like the purpose of the driver, like where are they going? What are they doing? Um, we get a lot of people that come in before work. We get people that come on their break or their lunch um, and people that come after work. And it's, it's kind of throughout the day. And, and so, you know, there's there's some research and data out there that kind of shows, you know, there's a, a correlation of, you know, a certain percentage where if if you have x number of cars that are driving by that street every day you can reasonably say that you know one to two percent of those cars you could you could forecast would would utilize you know your business your services and um so we kind of you know that, that's a good starting point for us to see if the road's not very busy it's it's not likely that we're going to entertain it we we really need to be in areas that are highly trafficked and that people are familiar with right people are familiar let, let's say there's another very popular restaurant or business that's nearby or grocery store that's nearby or a hospital um something like that those are good landmarks for us too where um you know where we put ourselves in a spot that uh that people are very familiar with and and frequent often okay so you mentioned that you used to work for a, a chain before and then you started to do your own thing so i'm sure that you learned a lot of uh very useful techniques and uh strategies from your previous employer what do you think you decided to do differently and really worked for you yeah um that's a it's a very fair question um i think they did they did a lot of things that were great and and that served as a good building building block um i think there were other things that i felt could be improved upon or um or more more handcrafted and you know one of the big things is is not only just providing opportunities for employment for people but also encouraging and pushing people to pursue what they're passionate about and so you know not so much of like 
maybe they're passionate about coffee and people and they love clutch and they want to work here for a long time. And I want to provide those opportunities. I think that'd be great. But also like, let's say they're really passionate about becoming a photographer or they're going to school for some, for nursing, like, great. What can we do as a company to help them pursue those things? Right. If they're really into photography, can we have them coordinate with our brand photographer and get them some exposure to what a, a, a photo shoot or a product shoot looks like? Can they get some experience there? Um, you know, if we, if they really want to get into nursing, right. And we have a regular customer who is, who works at a hospital or as a nurse, like how can we make that introduction and that connection to give them a, an opportunity to pursue that? So it's, you know, as much as I would, I'd want to say, oh yeah, everyone should work at Clutch for the rest of time. Like, that's also not realistic. And I want to, I want to empower and coach and support people to pursue what they're passionate about as well and, and, and use Clutch as a vehicle to do that. So that's something that I was really passionate about that, um, that I thought could be improved upon and tangibly improved upon. And, and so that was a big thing. And, and then um, also just kind of expanding our offerings and having more, more products across the board to kind of hit every segment of people right so it's not just coffee people say oh i don't drink coffee that's okay that's fine we have custom flavored teas and juices and energy drinks and milkshakes and um you know etc so doing different things like that to differentiate ourselves i think is is uh has been important for us i loved when you you started to ex ex uh, answer the question and you did not start with coffee you started with people what what do you think are the kind of very basic things which make a drive-through a good drive-through let's say any drive-through not not your philosophy but any drive-through what are the basic things which make it a good one good operational flow internally so you know do you have a good system uh internally that allows you to efficiently serve customers you know if, if they're coming through a drive-through it's reasonable to uh, to deduct that they want a fast experience, right? They, if they if they had time to come in and sit down, they would. They're going to the drive-through. They are doing other things or need to get somewhere and are trying to get their get their food or beverage and go. So I think your operations internally have to be very sound, where you have good systems that allow you to to move quickly and efficiently. Um, so, so, you know, operations goes kind of hand in hand with speed, right? I mean, if, if you, you've got to be staffed appropriately, if you're understaffed, which I see all the time at places, um, when you're understaffed it, you know, on the surface level, they might think they're saving money on payroll, but if you're limiting how many customers you can serve because you don't have enough manpower, you're really losing. So those are, those are a couple critical things. Um, to me, customer service, you know, so many drive-throughs have just become transactional. And this is something that we're passionate about with delivering that experience. Um, because I, I truly believe in building those relationships to where if you have those relationships, it, it expands beyond coffee. And it's, it's like, I know these people, they know me when, when I pull up, you know, that, that's kind of a cool thing with, with what we do at Clutch. A lot of our regular employees they know our regular customers. And so they might see, you know, Kevin turns into the line and they know that he's going to get a small, hot white mocha and they already start making it before he even pulls up. Right. Like that, that service doesn't happen very often. And, and people, it makes people feel special. It really does. So 
Um, so I think, I think operations and speed and then that guest experience, that customer experience. Um, and then the last thing is like, you gotta have a quality product, right? I mean, if you're serving something that's shitty, people won't come back. Like, so you've got to have a, a really quality product. And if you can win on all of those levels, then you've got something, you know, you've got something that that's got potential. So I agree with you. And I liked also that in previous answer, you mentioned that you are not only selling coffee, but other beverages, and we're definitely going to talk about it. But before that, let's talk about your coffee. So what kind of coffee do you guys offer and how do people react to that? Yeah. So we use an award-winning roaster out of Washington state. I will give them major credit. The name is, is uh, the name of the roaster is Delanos. It's spelled D-I-L-L-A-N-O-S. Um, they are fantastic. They make an incredibly quality, consistent product. We have, we use a, um, an espresso blend. It is a, a medium blend, if you will. And we, all of our coffee drinks are espresso based. We don't do any drip coffee. We want coffee to be made in a premium way and we want it to be on demand meaning when you order it that's when we pull those shots of espresso it's not something that's been sitting around for five or ten minutes it's literally made as you order it it is literally custom crafted and so um so we use a, a a custom blend from them the clutch blend if you will and uh and you know they facilitate all that right now we're doing, um, gosh, I was trying to think, I think we're doing like almost 2000 pounds a week of coffee across all of our locations. So, um, we're, we're busy <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so, it, you know, everything is, everything is espresso. based. So let me just repeat that you're doing 2000 pounds a week. That means 8,000 pounds a month. Correct. So if I do a math, uh, my first question would be. Why don't you roast it yourself? <laughs> That's fair, fair question. Um, and the short, well, the short list of answers to that is, um, one, we, at this point in time, like that's not our expertise or our forte. And so we, we want to leave that to the professionals who know what they're doing. Um, I think too, if we were to do it, it's, it's a pretty significant financial investment to set up your own you know, it's not just purchasing equipment to roast, but you've got to set up a facility. And then can you, can, do you have a facility that can produce what you need now, but also be set up to grow, to scale, right? Can they, can, you know, when we add on three more locations in the next five months, can it handle all of those? Um, and is it ready? So it's a pretty significant undertaking and you really would have to have somebody who's very knowledgeable and very experienced because I, I think roasting is a combination of art and science and, uh, and someone who, who is very in tune with that to oversee that. So it's, it's not a, for the scale that we need, it's not a simple, like, oh yeah, let's do this. Like it, it's a pretty involved decision. Um, and so for us right now, we're trying to focus on being really good at what we are good at, our, our core competency, which is drive-through and the, the retail drive-through um roasting is gonna is that becomes more of a of a wholesale business it, it would help us become vertically integrated but it's just not the right time at this moment to focus on that it's it's amazing i mean first of all i apologize to delanos my uh my goal was not to steal a customer or convince the customers to start to roast i was just really curious about this because nowadays the trend is that more and more 
small cafes, rosé on coffee, and they use either co-roasting spaces because that's very affordable. You basically rent the time on a roaster, or they even invest in their small operations. Let's say my company in Europe is a wholesaler, so we don't want to do cafes. We don't want to do drive-throughs. What we want to do is sell to these cafes and sell to these drive-throughs because what we want to do is roast coffee. We want to perfect our technique. We want to make sure that we are finding the best coffee beans. We want to make sure that we find the best coffee beans for you because maybe you have different needs for quality or for, you know, for budget than, let's say, somebody else. So that's what we want to do. So I applaud you. That's great. I mean, you do you and you do it amazingly and we do us, which is hopefully amazing, right? So, or in your case, Delanos. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We 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 want to focus on what we're what we're good at right now. Okay, let's go back to your non coffee beverages, and I'm really curious about this. What do you guys sell, and uh, which are the, your best sellers? So we sell categorically. We also sell um, custom infused energy drinks, which are a very popular beverage for us. Um, those energy drinks um, can be in. So imagine taking. Um, a Red Bull energy drink and infusing that with any fruit flavor that you want. So blue raspberry, watermelon, strawberry, orange, or any combination. We've got about 15 fruit flavors. That's a very popular thing because there isn't any other drive-through that is doing custom flavored energy drinks. Um, That's a, a very popular one. And it just allows complete customization. If you come up with a really good combination that you want, um, and you know, you want to, you want to name it, uh, whatever it is that, you know, that you like, that you can do that. Um, same thing with our iced teas. So we have black and green tea and we use a, a high quality, um, tea brand called Harney and Sons. And we utilize that as our base. And then you can add a flavor to that. So like, for instance, earlier today, I had one of our signature flavors is a um, it's called sensational strawberry, but it is a green tea with a little bit of strawberry flavor and then, um, a splash of coconut milk or almond milk or, you know, whatever you'd like in there. And so it gives a really, it's a really cool color to it, but also the flavor is, is fantastic. So those are really fun from a customization standpoint. Um, you know, uh, almost everything on the menu is customizable, right? So shakes, if you wanted to do a shake, we've got about 50, well, probably about 25 flavors actually between fruit flavors and then non-fruit flavors. Um, so those can be fully customized. Um, smoothies, we have uh, mango, peach, strawberry, and wildberry, and then a frozen lemonade as well, which is really good. Um, also mix as well with vodka at home. Uh, but, uh, the, but like those are, those are some of, I would say are, are very popular things beyond coffee are the energy drinks and the, and the smoothies for sure. Customizable means that I come to your place and I make any combination I want. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's super hard, isn't it? Uh, it? Yes and no. I mean, yes, in terms of it's it looks like it on the surface level, but because we have certain op- operational rules, so to speak, of like how much flavor goes in a, let's say you're going to get a iced tea. Um, we have certain rules for how much flavor goes in a small, a medium, and a large. So regardless of whether you put one flavor or two or five, it uses the same rules. So you don't, it doesn't become sweeter if you, you know, if you want to put two flavors in there instead of one, 
the amount of flavor you'll get of each one is, uh, you know, cumulatively will, will equal what our rule is for that, for that small size. So um, as long as our employees are trained correctly and know the recipes and the rules with those recipes, it makes it pretty easy. You know, you could, you could put 10 flavors in there and we'll, we know how to do it. So. So which one, which beverages win overall when it comes to sales? Is it the coffee-based beverages or these uh, fruity things? Yeah, top top five drinks for us are going to be, um, in no particular order, are going to be um, our caramel macchiato, which is one of our signature coffees, and then um, an Americano, which is you know a traditional regular coffee, uh, espresso-based coffee. The, and then uh, our our flavored energy drinks and smoothies. Um, those are all going to usually be at the top of the list. There's also one other one that's growing quite a bit in popularity, and it's called the Muscle Mocha. And this was a this was a drink we developed uh, based on a request from my wife, who said, "I'm tired of drinking a coffee and a protein drink after going to the gym." find a way to combine those two things. And so we infuse those and now we have a protein packed, low sugar muscle mocha, um, which is delicious. And I'm, I'm literally drinking one right now, uh, which is delicious in flavor and has good macros for people that are mm. health conscious. Mm. You are an excellent husband, Duran. So congrats on that. <laughs> Sounds good. I would definitely try it. I, I'm not a a uh, crazy exercise person, but I do exercise, obviously, uh, some, you know, uh, but I'm not, I'm not using these uh, shakes. I never really try them. So uh, it intrigues me. And it was also surprising to me that uh, they are definitely in the top five of your best-selling beverages. But I'll go back to the question again, because I am, I'm, I want to know also which ones are the most profitable. Uh, so if somebody says, like, I don't want to do everything, but I do want to, let's say I want to do only three most profitable, which do you think are the most profitable? So there's a couple of ways to answer that. So mm -hmm. from a margin perspective, mm -hmm. um, uh, like a regular Americana, which is espresso and water, that's the only ingredients that go in there. Maybe you add a little bit of cream or sugar, um, but that uh, from a margin perspective is the best, mar best margin because it's the simplest thing. Um, the worst margin is probably the smoothies. Those are very expensive to make. Um, however, the price of smoothies is significantly greater than a regular Americano. So bottom line, dollar for dollar or pound for pound, I would rather sell more smoothies than Americanos. If I, if I could sell the same number of both of those, I would rather sell that lowest margin product because it actually contributes more to the bottom line um, profit-wise than just because of the price is so much higher. Awesome. Do you guys offer food? Yeah, we have a limited food menu. Everything is pre-packaged and ready, ready to go. So meaning like we don't prepare any food. Um, everything is already in its own individual package. So um, we have uh, some muffins that we carry um, uh, banana, nut, blueberry, and chocolate chip. Um, we have like a marshmallow rice crispy treat. Um, we've got, uh, some individual unit, like the little oatmeals that you could get, like that you just add hot water or milk to, um, that are grab and go. And then we have a couple of like for health 
for the health conscious crowd, we have a couple protein bars that are, um, that are, you know, delicious, but, but a little bit better on the, on the nutrition content. Um, so not a huge offering, but enough that you could, you could get, you know, breakfast or lunch and a snack, uh, like your drink and a, and a snack to get you through the afternoon. You are talking about them with a, with a little bit less love compared to what you've Not as passionate about a product. Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, they're the went through a major exercise to find the right products that were sustainable and that were quality. Cause I, you know, there's a lot of big national products that I could carry, but the quality was pretty crap. So like, I didn't, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be a quality product. So Um, you know, being that that's not something that we craft internally and it's a third party, you know, vendor. Yeah. I'm a little less passionate about it, but, um, but still very passionate about the qual the level of quality. How important are they when it comes to your profitability of your uh, location? Um, yeah, I mean, food is probably like nine to 10% of our total sales. We don't have crazy margins on them and the, you know, food in general is less cost than, or less, less of a retail price than, than a lot of our drinks are. So it, it contributes a little bit, but it's not anything that's earth shattering. It's, we just want to make sure that we have something that's quality that someone wouldn't have to go somewhere else. If they literally wanted something to eat, we have something that they wouldn't have to go somewhere else to, to mm -hmm. fulfill that. Nowadays, you probably visit also other cafes. And I was just curious when you go sit down to a cafe and look around with your professional eyes, what are the most common mistakes you think uh, they are doing? Or let's say, if not mistakes, what do you think they could do better? Yeah. Oh man, this is, <laughs> this is a great question. So, uh, you know, and I, I, the, the number one thing I, well, the number, the top two things I look at, number one is the service level. Like what is that service? Right. And, and it, you get a very quick, uh insight into like how well or how poorly they were they were trained or how much they how much that brand emphasizes the customer experience so um you know are you greeted right away is that experience pleasant or is it just like hey welcome what can i get for you like monotone so that's one thing i look at right away and then the second thing is the operational flow and how they're set up and i i see this a lot at places where they bottleneck in the wrong places because they just don't they just don't know or they don't care um you know let's say there's there is two people taking orders at two cash registers at the front and then i see this at starbucks a lot i'll be honest uh two people taking drinks at the front and then one person on the espresso bar actually making the drinks and so you're taking in twice as many orders and it's all funneling to one person who's like trying to keep up and, and it, you just get they just get jammed versus Number one, my first suggestion would be like staff it appropriately to where everybody has a role and they can do that role in unison with each other where the where the flow is consistent. And so like having two people make those those drinks would be more helpful. But if you couldn't staff up more, switch that process and have one person take orders and two people make those drinks. Um, so that way that that, you know, when we have people staffed on our espresso machines, we we have two there's two people per bar and they, they each, there's like an imaginary line down the middle and they each have roles and responsibilities of what they need to do to build that drink together. So that flow goes a lot faster. Um, and you know, so then in theory there, you take that order, they get started on that order right away and there's two people making that. So your wait time 
from placing that order until until picking it up is is reduced um, if you're operating the, the right way. So those are the two biggest things that I see like that either I, I either get impressed or like severely disappointed. <laughs> so when you were talking about the efficiency of making beverages, uh, I'm just curious, what kind of machines do you use in your uh, places? Yeah, so I mean, uh, our espresso machines are pretty much top of the line. We use a brand, they're, they're handmade in Italy. Uh, the brand mm-hmm. is La Marzocco. Um, and they're not, uh, they're not cheap. Um, you get like a three group machine, which means it's got three, it's got three heads on it. So you can in theory pull three double shots of espresso simultaneously. Um, you know, one of those machines is going to be $15,000 and we usually put at least two of those in every location. Um, so we use the, we're, we're, they're, they're expensive, but they're, incredible quality and very reliable and just they're they're fantastic machines so um so we use those and then um you know we have a a station for um a blender station where we have a you know a a series of blenders for making the smoothies and the shakes and things of that nature um as well and and we're about to start exploring um uh nitro nitro infused coffee which is a, a become a very popular thing in the united states and uh and looking at how we can how we can implement that into our well, let me know because that's what i'm looking into but in europe anyhow but you know what what i was uh going to point out here i was curious about your machines because uh, starbucks is using super automatics right now and you guys are still going the the group machines that's that's really cool that's that's fancy yeah so so here's here's the biggest here's the biggest uh if you want to compare those two, here's the biggest deal with that. Super automatic is like you could teach a monkey how to use it, right? Like press a button, get, get, uh, uh, it's like, yeah, press a button and get your espresso shots, right? Very easy. It's controlled. There's an automatic cutoff on milk temperature when you're steaming milk and you hit a certain temperature, there's a cutoff for that. Um, and so it, it makes it, it makes, it's got more quality control around it. It means you don't have to train as, as intensely. Um, the downside is those super automatics can only pull so many shots at a time. Um, and there's usually only, you know, they can pull like, uh, I think it can pull like this ones that Starbucks can pull like maybe two double shots. Right. But if you really get into a rhythm and you have a three group machine, or we even have some four group machines where, you know, I mean, back when I used to be fast doing this, like I could pull a, a full rack, I could pull four double shots of espresso, like manually pull those in less than 15 seconds. So then you start talking about volume and, you know, uh, some of our large espresso drinks our our standard large uh, coffee comes with four shots of espresso. We have some, we have some amped drinks that have Ooh. six shots in a large. Ooh. So you would need, yeah, you need to use all three or four of those heads, right. To, to get, to get, that's just for one drink. What if they ordered two? Like, so that's where the super automatic has the downside is you just can't, you can't go as fast and do the production. If you have a, a quieter, slower cafe and it's easy, like no big deal. But if you're trying to really do volume um, or set yourself up to do volume, it, it sounds counterintuitive to say you're manually doing the work versus pressing a button, but you actually can. Go this is awesome. This that. is exactly opposite what I heard before. And what you explained, it makes totally sense. So usually people say that we use super automatics because we want to make it the whole flow efficient. But, but, but I get what you say. You know, I did play with uh, super automatics a little bit. I mean, 
I don't mind if the cafe using them and the business model is efficiency if that's what they want. But as you explained, actually, that's not true. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it it just comes down to how much you. Tra- I mean, if you train people that that can be really fast, um, you know, pulling that like because when we get busy, it's you know, it's it's not uncommon for us to do six or seven hundred dollars worth of business in an hour. And so, like, you've got to be very fast. Like, you've got to be able to. You know, I mean, you're, you've got to be able to move, right? You're talking doing more than $10 a minute in drinks. So a super automatic will just, it will slow you down or you need more of them. And then you're talking about more capital costs than, you know, if you got to have three of those in there, space wise, it takes up more space. It's again, pros and cons. It just, it, it depends. I'm totally cool. If Starbucks, if Starbucks is my main competition, they want to keep using that totally fine by me because we'll run circles around them. So. (laughs) You are totally right. I, I saw this uh, in one cafe in Napa when they, you know, it's a, I think it was a bakery, skipping my name, that they, they serve amazing coffee by Equator. And they went with a super automatic way. They have super fancy, super automatic machine, which makes high quality uh, espresso. But because of their volume, they had to buy three of them. And that was crazy expensive. Lamarzocco will seem to you like peanuts, you know, compared to that. Yeah, yeah. It just it just comes down to like a philosophy thing, I think, really. Right. So I love that you talked about training because I didn't plan to do this. Usually I do this when somebody I have somebody on a show who subscribed to Coffee Pro and I ask them about the testimonial, basically how did they like Coffee Pro? But in, in this case, I just mentioned that on coffeecourses.com we have also training for people who wants to learn how to pull shots and do basic espresso. So uh, if you are a cafe or uh, or just a person who wants to learn this, that's cool. We have some companies who actually use this as a basic training for their baristas. So go ahead, coffeecourses.com. Wow, chance thank you plug. for, the, for uh, a chance to plug. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know if absolutely. I leave this in. I, just, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, why not? We'll see. Anyhow, okay. Last time when we talked together, we also talked about that you love to visit Europe. You had a few trips there. And we had this short discussion about uh, the drive-throughs and European culture. Uh, so what do you think about that? Does drive-through have a chance in Europe? And let's talk about coffee drive-through because there are drive-throughs in Europe, like McDonald's does that and everybody does that. But I'm curious about coffee drive-through. Uh, that's a fantastic question. I, I could see it going both ways, right? I think culturally, in Europe, there is a premium placed on sitting down and enjoying coffee as a social entity and as a social gathering sometimes, or maybe sitting down by yourself, but taking time to enjoy that versus, you know, using that as like, that, that's the, the focus of what I'm going to do versus I need to get a coffee to go do something else. Um, so I can, I can see, you know, it's been what, 30 years since drive through coffee started in, in the United States. Um, I could see it being catching on there in, in certain areas, maybe in, maybe in progressive cities where there is a lot of movement and people on the go. Um, I also could see it hitting because it is just very culturally different, right? I mean, um, and, and it may be, I mean, whoever, whoever does the first true experiment there to see, they're either going to, they're either going to, uh, 
really thrive or they're going to completely swing and miss. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it's, it's interesting to think about. I think there are certain pockets that it probably would be received and maybe it shifts part of the culture, but I, I know that coffee is such an integral part of the culture that I think it would, it's a pretty monumental task to look to try to change that completely where, you know, the United States is, uh, everybody's focused on doing something or going somewhere. And so we, we've just become very accustomed to like, yep, yeah, let me grab my coffee. Let me grab my food, whatever. Now, if there are already, you know, if there's drive through food there, then I would like to think coffee isn't far behind, but I also have to believe that Starbucks as a global brand has done a lot more market research than we have. And there's probably a reason that they haven't really hit you know, doing, doing drive-throughs there in Europe, uh, based on, on what information they have. Mm -hmm. So no, normally I usually ask the $10,000 question that, you know, what kind of business you would start with $10,000, but I have a different question for you selfishly, because I'm a person who is not using drive-throughs. I don't know how they should look like. I would ask you, how do you think a European drive-through should look like? Or if you would start tomorrow, a European drive-through, how would it look like? I think a hybrid would be preferable that doesn't just go to strictly drive through but has a combination of a walk-in space, so where people could sit down and actually in a cafe, but also happens to have the, the drive through convenience. And maybe, maybe you even have some outdoor seating if, the, if there's space, but something that, that approaches the concept in a way that isn't so foreign that people are scared to try it or they, they just don't, it's just, they don't know what to do with it where you can have a, a, a great atmosphere inside for people to still sit down like they traditionally have. But also if you are in a hurry, Hey, we have a lane here that you can drive through and an order from. I think that would be the big thing to kind of ease into that and put your toes in the water to see how is this going to be received? Right. And then that way, if the drive through, thrives then great you you know you're in a good spot but if it doesn't for whatever reason then you still have that walk-in um segment where you're not going to you know have to really start thinking about like do we need to close this down at some point do you think that in europe they should be in a different places like in the united states like when it comes to location um in terms of of like how busy the area is or like the types of i mean you could make an argument for putting them near where the fast food, like if there are fast food drive-through food places now in Europe, that would probably be my starting point to put them near that because those companies, you know, whether that's McDonald's or any other big chain have done more research to say, this is where we think this has the best chance of succeeding. And then you also have the muscle memory of people who say, who know that that's actually a drive-through and that, okay, this concept isn't, that foreign now i can get my food here and my coffee here and be on my way so uh, i would if i was going to go in i would uh i would look to do it in areas where there already is existing drive-through because they're those are there for a reason and the market research they've done is likely going to be greater than something i might come up with um you know on my own interesting i definitely will entertain this idea in my head i like to think about things like this but uh Yeah, if, if there is somebody who's listening to this podcast and you guys know of a coffee drive-thru in Europe, let us know where they are. I'm really curious. It's a very interesting concept. Where do you see Clutch in 10 years? What do you guys want to achieve? 
Yeah. So, so I mean, 10 years from now, we, we want to build a, we want to build a regional brand that has several hundred locations. So that's really our focus right now is wow. trying to set ourselves up to have, to have several hundred locations um, and really have a, a strong brand that, that people know and are familiar with and, and, and love. What's your personal end goal? Is it something uh, you want to retire with or sell later or what, what's your personal goal? Man, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something that I'm really, that I'm passionate about. I really enjoy building, building things and building brands and businesses as well. So, um, you know, I have, I have aspirations in addition to clutch of wanting to um, consult and help other small business owners get started um, from the ground up. And then also to coach, you know, like hopefully be able to coach my kids in, in um, athletics or things of that nature. So those are a couple other things that I'm passionate about to do in addition to clutch, but in terms of where, where the path takes me with clutch, I, I, you know, I think we're, we're just scratching the surface. We don't know. We don't even know what our own ceiling is yet. And it'll just be exciting to see, you know, to see where we go. Are you doing those consultations right now? Um, no, uh, I mean, I've had a couple of people indirectly ask me for, for thoughts or ideas on their, you know, they have, a, they want to do something similar in a different geography or something of that nature. But in terms of like formal, no, my, all my focus and effort has been on, on clutch. Okay. Because I thought that if you are, then it is your place to promote, uh, promote yourself. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, uh, eventually I, you know, I'm like, oh, it's got a good ring to it. Clutch consulting. Um, but, uh, you know, but we, I got to. I got to, you know, continue to prove it myself first. Right. Otherwise, otherwise they're like, who's this, who's this guy. But, uh, but yeah, it's something that I am passionate about to help, help other small business owners, you know, optimize their own business or, or start something, you know, from the, from the ground up. There's so many consultants in the industry who never really went through the, uh, trenches. And I, and not only in our industry, in general, like they don't go through trenches, they don't know how to do this, but they consult. I always wondered where they get the know-how from books or whatever, or how, how they really consult. So I appreciate you that you are willing to go through the trenches. Yeah. I want to live it out to, to be able to tell, you know, the good, the bad, uh, everything in between and, and share that experience. So it's not like, well, I, I read about this or I, you know, it's like, I've done it for better or for worse. So um yeah it's it's sharing that knowledge and uh and experience i think will be will be fun too so darren uh i tortured you here for an hour approximately thank you so much for all your very useful inputs i think it's only fair that if you have a question for me uh you go ahead and ask it yeah absolutely i think the biggest thing i'm always just curious about is what what inspired you to start your um, you know, your, uh, your podcast, um, with coffee is me and what, what inspired that? And, and what do you enjoy the most about it? Huh? Okay. Uh, I think I talked about it before a little bit, but, uh, it's for selfish. I was starting a coffee brand called Unleash Coffee five years ago, and I already had my European brand, but obviously doing business in the United States is very different than in Europe. And I was like, well, how can I learn fastest to uh, make business in the United States? Or how can I get the most tips? So I decided to interview businesses like you and uh, get your ideas on that. You're self-aware. I like it. Well, that's how it started. But later, obviously, uh, it grew up into something else because 
suddenly I had something to say, you know, and I had to share, I could share some opinions and uh, just became a very good conversation with super interesting people, which otherwise I might not meet, you know, so it became something else. Yeah. And I, and, and partly it's also the fact that, you know, I do work on online education for on coffeecourses.com. I do some consultancy myself. And I really feel that if you want to do that, you really need uh, to know what you're talking about. So I went to the trenches. I was there and I'm still there with my European brand and I'm not willing to give it up and um, doing the work so I can talk, talk about things with uh, knowledge, right? I love it. I think it's, I think that's awesome. And it's great to be able to, to share some very valuable information and have great conversations for your, you know, for your listeners. Thank you again for this amazing talk. I think you are very organized with your thoughts. So in this one hour, you got us so much to think about and so much useful information that, uh, yeah, all we have to do is act on it. And also, can you mention where can people find you? Yeah. Um, so, uh, our website is clutchcoffeebar.com and then, um, our social media handles are at clutch coffee bar. Um, we are on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, Um, and, uh, yeah, that kind of covers everything. Gives you all the website has information on our story, where we're at, where we're going. Um, all the all the, the merchandise and all the all the fun stuff there and, and we do monthly subscriptions as well for whole bean or ground coffee if, if someone wants to enjoy making it at home and they want a, a quality quality coffee um, that's better than whatever they're using now uh, we have that as well well thank you so much and bye appreciate it thank you so much